lasagna. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle empire. Get your dad young. Lasagna. Hot, right, boys? Get that lasagna. Oh, welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. I'm doing the introduction today because it's a new year, new me, new podcast. Uh, you know, obviously we've been we followed up on our promise to deliver you tons of basketball podcasting content. That resolution's already done in the can, so we're finished with that. Uh, but now we're gonna put a bow, such as it is. You know, post-holiday depression on the bowl season. What season kind of bowl? Ryan or Schembechler? Bellini. Um, yeah, yeah. One that might actually coach a winning team again. I mean, obviously. Well, anyway, uh, it is now after the bowl season, and so we're going to have a win fight try Brewster of the Week, which will be Corona Premier. Last year, we cracked some Miller Lite to salute our corporate homogenized gigantic billion dollar national champion. Now I've got something that isn't Miller Lite, but might as well be. Roll damn in bed. Roll damn Clemson Tide. So, I mean, that certainly happened, but at the same time, you know, neither of us roots for Ohio State or to a lesser extent Penn State and Michigan, which means that the national championship game is not the same sport that our teams play. Yeah, it's not It's a lot be... closer to the NFL than what we play. It's not like, you can't really learn you can't really meaningfully compare that game to your game if you're a fan of almost any college football team. No, and so, first of all, before, I mean, I do reject the argument that flew around sports media in the lead-up to the national title game, which is, um, actually, this is the best thing ever, and if you don't like it, you're just a hater. No, you know what? Um, R2? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, squeaking and pouting going on about that because that take was just, I mean... Essentially, the week before the national championship, you had a bunch of people just yelling at people who didn't feel like watching this game and weren't interested in the meta game anymore. Because how can you be? You, I mean, if you're an LSU fan, you're one of the most talented teams in the country. Not good enough to score on Alabama. Yeah, you know, like if you're Florida State, you won a national title within the last five years, and you're miles away from belonging on the same field as Clemson. You're you're four, you're three or four elite recruiting classes away from even starting to catch up so what and then like you know that's even for the relative upper middle class like the the one percentization of college football is basically complete at this point where the stratification there's, of there's, recruiting is clemson and bama there's three to five teams that in any given year might have enough good fortune enough coaching savvy enough experience and enough chemistry to take a swing at them and have a chance of a punch landing well, and most importantly, though, those have to be built upon a foundation of recruiting. So there's only a certain number of teams that even have that uh, ability to do that, have the talent to stand toe-to-toe. One of them is, believe it or not, USC, which boasted the third most talented by uh, by star rating and blue-chip ratio, third most talented roster in the nation. But so hold on, and that's the point that I just made, which is it's one thing to have the players, but if your coach... Is a, is a damp stump like Clay Houghton. I mean, it would have been interesting to see what Cliff Kingsbury could have done with all that talent, but he Before just... Before he fell he all the way up ago. to the NFL. Yeah, although, you know, it's fair enough, I guess, that 
if you're the NFL and you, you know, if you're an NFL team and you see the direction the league is going, do you maybe not want the guy who at various points in their careers coached Baker Mayfield, Pat Mahomes? Um, aren't you really? I know it's I know it's disappointing that coaches don't honor their commitments and players are forced to sit out a year when they transfer. Although Justin Fields has hired the same attorney that Shea Patterson used to get his eligibility waiver. So <laughs> guess who's the starting quarterback for Ohio State next year? It's basically a, a fait accompli at this point. Yeah. Um there's been a lot of response to the well surely Ryan Day won't you know annihilate everybody quite like Urban Meyer did he's done a pretty good job putting the staff together this <laughs> that machine made us keep on rolling downhill well and more importantly he uh, he did so by taking some shots at Michigan and taking some of their guys right and of course obviously the immediate reaction around here that I heard from various Michigan people was well we may not have renewed Madison's contract anyway bullshit he's one of the best recruiters in college football and so was Al Washington Um, those are big losses and you may be able to hire guys who are just as good on paper at coaching guys up but you can't replace those recruiting ties to Ohio which is where Madison and Washington both have excellent connections so that's a big loss don't pretend that it isn't Ohio State's still a big problem. Don't pretend that they aren't, even with their head coach, their quarterback, and most of their staff gone. Uh, <laughs> they're still going to be a problem for the rest of the conference. Still going to be the prohibitive favorite to win the conference next year, I would think, especially if Fields is eligible right away. Yeah, so I'm I'm just going to continue uh, slowly sipping on my Corona here, which is very much the national championship game of beers in that if there's nothing else around, I guess I'd rather drink it than nothing. We already said everything we're going to say about the national tell. I know, indeed. Well, I mean, yeah, and the other <laughs> thing is that uh, it just seems like such a non-event to have this on a Monday starting at 8 p.m. Eastern after the wild card games. I mean, it's just like kind of an afterthought. I mean, I, we're able to comfort. I mean, I, I tuned in halfway through the second quarter and tuned out during third. I <laughs> do found the squeakiest toy. Um, so <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, much has been already commented upon about the ridiculous positioning of Levi's Stadium relative to San Francisco. Lots been made about what a terrible building it is architecturally. Um, there's no need to go into any of that further, although all that stuff is true. But yeah, so the problem, first of all, with an 8 o'clock Eastern start time is it's too late for East Coast viewers to comfortably stay up and watch it if you have a job the next day like most of us do. Especially and, because the game's going to be five hours long. They're going to yeah. stretch that game and they to did. the limits of conception it went past midnight i'm pretty sure and then the other thing is if it's an eight o'clock eastern start but you're on the west coast it's a five o'clock local time start so if there were any locals interested in going to this game there weren't uh, they were never going to be able to make it to kick off and if you're traveling for this game which by the way these two fan bases have been to all of the past title games within the last half dozen years between them uh you gotta get there i mean you, you can't exactly is anyone familiar with California traffic? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here on what a terrible location this was, at least relative to, like, in the past, where have we had it so far? It's been in, it's New Orleans next year, isn't it? It was in Arizona already. It was in Atlanta. Mm. Um, the other places they've been have all been so vastly superior. It was in Dallas once, I think. Yeah. Um, it's been in places so vastly superior to hosting um, that the exact reason why they put it here, well, it's it's clear why they put it there, which is that the Pac-12 bitched and moaned until they got one in their footprint. Um, not that a Pac-12 team is likely to sniff the playoff. Yeah, that's that's year, certainly going to help USC recruit even more guys to go 5-7. and seven. <laughs> So the, the other thing, I mean, as far as it seeming like a non-event, this is gonna this is gonna be yet another rallying point I'll use for Team Old Bull System because 
Do you remember when the games that decided the national championship would be played at big venues all across the country between usually a bunch of legendary teams, sometimes some upstarts that have had historic years, and then they would all be throughout the day on a federal holiday? Uh, that's big time. You can't do it. I mean, New Year's Day, all I ever even think about is football. Right, or at least it used to be the case. I mean, it, the bowl matchups this year outside of the title game were underwhelming enough that all I did was tune in. I mean, this wasn't even New Year's Day. It was tune in to watch Michigan get their face caved in as per usual, as is bowl tradition. And actually, some of the ones I thought would be good ended up being ass. I really thought Utah State, North Texas was going to be good. Yeah, that, that I was, was a blowout. I was looking forward to West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and then Will Greer didn't play. And yeah, West, Virginia, West Virginia, Syracuse. Dana Holgerson, apparently. Oh, what? Yeah. No, it was Oklahoma State, Missouri. That's yeah. Right. Oklahoma State, Missouri um, ended up being good. That one was, but okay. it was Syracuse, West Virginia that just ooh oh oh. Yeah. As soon as Will Greer wasn't playing, no need to watch and that. Apparently, Dana Holgerson had one foot out the door, which is an, kind of an interesting story in and of itself. Which, if you're a West Virginia fan, how does it feel to have your head coach a pretty good success, nothing extraordinary, but of decent success, leave for a Group of Five team because of exactly how impossible it is to recruit winning players and gather winning resources at your program and where do you go from here i understand they already made their hire but metaphorically where do you go from there if you're west virginia playing a conference that's 1500 miles away you know in terms of where most of the schools are so conference realignment what a great thing this has been for everybody involved yeah can't wait to get oklahoma and texas in here it's that's gonna happen yeah that's absolutely gonna happen um uh i don't know it would be, it'd be kind of funny if the... Uh, I kind of hope the rights bubble bursts before then, um, just so that we don't do it. Um, very few of the games this bowl season were uh, were even close. Yeah, and the being... ones that, so some of the ones that were, were terrible anyway. California TCU, a three-point barn burner, 10-7. That's what was people want to do. Was that in overtime, too? Uh, yeah, I think it went to it, it, at least one overtime, didn't it? Let me... Um, yeah, only the one overtime. Um... But it, how many interceptions were thrown there? I think like eight or nine interceptions were thrown overall. No, only seven. Only seven interceptions, at least by the starters, according to the box score. I, I feel like there were more. Maybe Stanford I'm... blew out Pittsburgh 14-13, to 13, which is a blowout <laughs> by Stanford standards. It's a blowout by Sun Bowl standards, yeah. So, no, there was there was a lot of direct. Uh, I mean, let's see. Nevada 13, Arkansas State er, 16, Arkansas State 13 overtime. Uh, there was a twenty-seven to nothing drubbing of Ohio. There was uh, Ohio was on the winning end of that though. Or, or, of, of, of San Diego State by Ohio. San Diego State I by know, Ohio. I know, yeah. I um, yeah. The, so I don't Me- know. Memphis Wake Forest actually was good. I did catch Memphis some of that. Memphis Wake Forest the, was pretty good. <laughs> the Jared Birmingham Bowl that was a good one. Um, watching Army just just plaster Houston's guts all over the wall was kind of hilarious in a way. I, I watched a good deal of that. Um, but no, other than that, most of the pre-Christmas bowls were just not worth the time. I thought you Toledo was decent. I don't think anybody was watching it though. Um, it was on, wasn't it like one o'clock on a Thursday or something? Yeah, Buffalo and Troy was a really interesting one for those of us who are constantly thinking about our head coaches getting fired because those are <laughs> those are two. In fact, the next uh, Neil next, Brown ended yeah, up going Neil to West Brown. Virginia. So and Lance Leipold is still at still on the market. Club. Yeah. Um, to be see, fair, this ones... this was kind of their first real breakthrough season, wasn't it? I, yeah. I don't think they'd had a division title. They still haven't won the conference. So I can see why. I would think at this time next year, he's probably going to be one of the hottest names on the coaching carousel. Although we'll see, because Tyree Jackson is going pro, isn't he? Yeah. So maybe it ends up being a little bit of a slower process for him. See, but anyway. The other close games that were decent, Washington State or Iowa State. 
Uh, that was a pretty good one. Uh, Baylor beat Vanderbilt. Uh, the lesson there uh, between Baylor and Vanderbilt is that you should cover it up and then take the fall later as opposed to actually punishing people for doing it. Yes. That's apparently worth seven more points. That's the lesson. It is indeed. All right, so let's pivot a little bit and focus on the Big Ten's bowl games here. The first one, we'll just go chronologically. Um, Minnesota, right here in glorious Ford Field and in, in the revered Quick Lane Bowl, really kind of opened a can on, on Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson's last gig as a coach. Now, presumably, Johnson was looking ahead to his excellent performance on the coach's film room, which is, of course, a great and entertaining innovation, so ESPN killed it. Uh, that, <laughs> and so... Paul Johnson actually gets to be part of not only his last game, but also the last coach's film room within the span of about a week. So kind of a big week for him. But this game was basically the story of Minnesota's rushing attack being more than a match for anything Georgia Tech could do defensively. Um, they're going to have an interesting situation next year because they get Rodney Smith back, don't they? I believe so. And then doesn't Shannon Brooks have another year of eligibility too because of the time he missed, or is he going to be gone? Well, in any case, they'll have – I know they'll have Smith. They'll have Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, they played Muhammad Ibrahim, by the way, 31 carries for 224 yards. Yeah, that's why we mentioned him, because given the results that Jonathan Taylor had in his game, normally if you were to put together an all-Big Ten bowl team or whatever, Wisconsin's running back is a pretty good bet, and that would be the case this year too, but I think it's kind of a push, um, which is a good way of segueing into the uh, maybe the saddest rematch of all the rematches here. Although, honestly... The, the extent to which Michigan State-Oregon has plummeted since they last met in the regular season is is noteworthy. But when you talk, obviously, Miami and Wisconsin rematching last year's Orange Bowl in the Pinstripe Bowl, um, I feel like this is too easy of a, a trope to go to sometimes, but we always talk about how in bowl games a big influencer on performance is just how much the teams want to be there well there was no part of this game where it looked like Miami wanted to be there and sure enough in the aftermath of the game Mark Rich just kind of walked off not into the sunset but like off into the woods he walked (laughs) off he walked off into the overcast Michigan in winter um yeah I mean you talk about people that really didn't want to be in that game. Malik Rozier was trying desperately to get to the bench by just throwing pick after pick after pick. <laughs> I don't want to take another step. Finally, uh, yeah. finally managed to convince the coaching staff to give him a bench ride. Nikosi Perry completed one pass for two yards and then threw a pick. Yep. One of those types of games. I mean, the ones basically that make Wisconsin's defense look like it's back. Um, where if you were to read too much, it'd be really optimistic if you were a Wisconsin fan. Now, if your own passing attack had to show up in this game, things might have been... But since they didn't, Miller and the rest of the Wisconsin fence looked like its old self again. Frankly, it looked like a rushing attack we thought we'd be seeing all year. You don't really have to resolve yet, but Alex Hornbrook didn't play in this game. He's been dealing with multiple concussions and the aftermath of that all year. Jack Cohn has not looked like a solution, really. And then they did hang on to their big quarterback prospect in Graham Mertz. He ended up signing on the line, which is dotted. So that'll probably be stories relation number... to Ethel Mertz? Maybe. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, of course, carried the, the bulk of the work. And then, uh, you know, they, they pulled us out of that Taiwan deal, which was one of the best trade deals in the history <laughs> of deals ever. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, yeah, that, by the way, was, isn't this, wasn't Deal the one who scored the, the fuck you touchdown at the very end of the game? Yes, yeah. he was. Um, 
And so the, the half-hearted defense raised by the Wisconsin faithful, of course, would be, well, he's a senior. He won't give him a touchdown in his last game. Like, he's been a backup running back for most of his career. He's got probably 15 or 20 touchdowns under his belt. It's not like he's some former walk-on who's never touched the field before and this is his last chance to do it. Like, <laughs> because he, there's a decent chance he'll make an NFL roster because he's a decent physical specimen without a whole lot of tread worn off of him yet. So... That's just a dick move, and there's no other defense for it. It's kind of out of character for Paul Christ, at least as we know him. But you Well, know. he was seen saying, turnover chain, my gosh darn butt. <laughs> well, again, they, he already dunked on him last year to kind of put that <laughs> to bed. So why he felt the need to rub it in the Mark Richt Miami's face, of all things, I don't know. But A distant wolf has occurred. Yeah, he probably just wants to go outside again because he's a selfish prick. That sounded, um, like, that sounded like me. Maybe it was, I don't know. So now we got to talk about some of the less pleasant part of the Bulls. This, by the way, these first two games, after they occurred, I remember thinking, wow, maybe it should be a pretty good Bulls season for the Big Ten. And then the games continued to happen, and I thought that considerably less with each successive game. So well, the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl occurred. Uh, this was a damn subprime mortgage circuit 2008, man. This did not go well. I remember this game happened, I think I'd taken the day off this day. Or no, this was the one day that I had to work. But I left early because nobody else was in the office. Um, but I remember the game was starting right around the time I was leaving the office. And then by the time I got to the gym half an hour later, Auburn was up four scores already. And I was like, oh, well, I was going to watch this game and get my schwitz on, but now I can't do that. So, uh, you know, I, I was still able to, but it didn't interest me enough to get my heart rate up a little bit. I need a little bit of extra motivation to get to gym between Christmas and New Year's. Essentially, what happened was... The game was 56-7 to at halftime, and that's kind of all you need to know. And the main reason for this was just that Auburn's defensive line annihilated Purdue and didn't allow them to run absolutely any play of any kind. Uh, Rondale Moore managed to grab 11 of David Blau's 22 completions, uh, didn't really do anything with them. Yeah, and the explanation that I saw for this game which I suppose makes sense, was that there was, look, there's such a radical difference in athletic talent between these two teams. There's nothing that Jeff Brom could do. And in the lead up to this game, both Brom and Nick Holt, the DC, were both like, look, there's a little bit of an athletic difference here. This might not go all that well. And they didn't say it exactly like that, but that was the inevitable gist of what they were saying. They, were, they set expectations pretty low for this going in. Understandably so, but Auburn dramatically underperformed this year. Well, and the other thing is, Gus Malzahn took play calling responsibility back for the first time, which is why their offense worked. But man, it just, it does have to be a little bit concerning if you're Purdue with all the wizardry that Brown was able to do so far that he wasn't able to come up with anything that worked. I mean, if you're, it's, yeah, if, if your offensive line is just getting beat across the board every snap, it's not like there's much you can do to scheme around it. But I don't know, like roll pocket, call screens, call slants, call misdirections, call what you have to do um, to get the ball fast. You'll go all shotgun, which they basically do anyway. I don't know. But Purdue was never able to get anything working. And as bad as this score looks, yeah, as you said, 56-7 at halftime, it could have been so much worse. Uh, but Gus Malzahn apparently is a merciful type. Yeah, and one of the things I keep saying is that Malzahn's just recruited defensive lines so well for his entire tenure. And... It's not even that they had a better matchup there. It's that they had just a complete dominant matchup. And, you know, the extent to which the offensive line was overwhelmed was such that there was nothing they could do. Ask Wes Lunt what that's like. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's true enough that Purdue's offensive line is athletically underwhelming. And that's 
probably the I mean as much as we talk about the way they've overcome their talent deficiencies on defense, that's probably an even more impressive thing because offensive line is a hard thing to fake. It's not like they run like the Northwestern <laughs> dink and dunk, like get the ball out immediately. They get the ball out fast a lot of the time. But And what we talked about before the season with Purdue losing so much experience on defense, uh, those chickens came home to roost in this one big time. Uh, Jarrett yeah. Stidham, 15 for 21, 373 yards, five touchdowns. Yeah, although... It's thinking back to last year's Purdue defense. It's not like there were any defensive backs on that roster that would have done any yeah. better. This was, I mean, it was really just a matter multiple times where, oh hey, look, that Auburn guy is just fast. He's running past everyone who's trying to cover him, and there's the deep ball right in his cradle. So yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing to say that look, this team is young and they're still rebuilding. Last year's team did not have the athletes to match up with this Auburn team. This year's team does not. Next year will be a big step in that direction because they closed recruiting very strong. And we'll kind of get into that around National Signing Day is probably when you'll hear from us next. And we'll go through the stuff because I know you're going to be eager to talk about recruiting for once. Um, Do transfers count as recruiting too? Yeah, man. Why not? Oh, yeah. Are they going to be playing for you? We've oh, yeah, got so many transfers. Yeah, that's a good... Um, I think you said that was going to be essential because you would have had like 10 empty scholarships otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, so speaking of transfers, Shea Patterson brings an end to his first season as a Michigan quarterback and the most Michigan Bowl result imaginable. A 26-point loss to Florida, that offensive dynamo that put up 41 points on the vaunted Michigan defense. Can we stop using the word vaunted when we talk about the Michigan defense now? Because that's... Uh, let's see. What did they give up? Sixty-two to Ohio State. It's one hundred and three points in two games. Is that good? Is that is that vaunted? How do you? Uh, how many? How about is that? how about this? The haunted Michigan defense. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Because uh, what the hell was that? Built an excuse. God. Hold on, hold on. What built an excuse. Built an excuse to playing. Uh, Michigan had a bunch of guys who did not play in this bowl game. Okay, let's talk about the bunch of guys who didn't play. Well, which is which is going to happen, by the way. When, Every year, all the time, more. Yeah, often. when you recruit. Guys with NFL futures right out of high school, uh, you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, so let's talk about the guys who are missing. Devin Bush, big loss, big time loss. Excellent middle linebacker, dirtiest player in college, but a very good linebacker. Has kind of, has the sideline to sideline speed that you need to keep up with guys like Florida's skilled players. Damn, aren't you? <laughs> keep up with guys like Florida's skilled players. He was a big loss. They clearly do not have a backup plan for him on the roster right now. I think they ended up playing Ross and Gill kind of in a split time thing. If I were, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. Um, he was a big loss. Rashawn Gary sat out. Uh, he missed a good deal this season. They replaced him. You know, Quiddy Pay and uh, Uche is the other guy's name. They looked okay without him. Chase Winovich is a better player anyway. Um, so that's it on defense. Two guys sat out. Everyone else played. Shouldn't have given up 41 points to frickin' Florida. Offensively, Karan Higdon sits out. He's a pretty good running back. Pretty good running back. Yeah. Not really anything that spectacular. Fair enough to say. Not I mean, an irreplaceably good guy when you've got a system like Michigan's. Is he Justin Jackson with a few less carries? Yeah. Really good back. Nothing that should have been an earth-shattering death blow to this offense. And then the right tackle sat out. Juwan Bushelbeady. I think because of injuries, they made it sound like he just wasn't healthy enough to play. It wasn't exactly clear. Um, he's always been a little bit of a liability in pass protection anyway. So those were your four guys sitting out. I don't think Florida was missing anybody, but despite being 10th ranked, but did name Florida's best win this year. Name it. Um, did they beat, like, LSU or something? I don't know. I, they might have. They might have beaten LSU. They, they beat, I think they beat Missouri, but who cares? Right. Um, they beat, they beat Florida State. They, they did beat LSU, and they beat, they beat Mississippi State, but, you know, big deal, so did Iowa. 
Um, oh, here you're you're giving you're, you're spoilers, man. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Yeah, let's see. So they've got they've got two wins against ranked opponents coming into this game. Uh, so there's really not that much evidence that they're one of the best teams in the country. Uh, there is, however, plenty of plenty of evidence that uh, Michigan just. I have no idea. The, Name the, their best win this year. Penn State? Penn State, probably. Penn yeah. State. Um, the Michigan State team they beat turned out to be ass. The Wisconsin team they beat turned out to be ass. They lost to the three good teams they played. And then they beat Penn State, who ended up being just kind of there. Just kind of there. We'll get to Penn State as well. So, yeah, the, 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 the real the kill shot in this game came when uh, after Michigan had, you know, after they gave up two third-quarter touchdowns to the, uh, you know, to the Florida offense, which... <laughs> just how do you do that um then they kicked a field goal to cut it to 14 then their defense with about 10 minutes to play uh gets florida in a third and 20 oh yeah from yeah. about from about their from about the 50 and then th- they do a draw to uh uh to p Ryan, and he just takes off for a touchdown untouched you give up a 50-yard right touchdown on a third and 20 on a draw on third and 20 basically straight up the middle of the field what the hell are you doing yeah, I don't want to hear about the vaunted Michigan defense anymore. Because um, the look, haunted Michigan defense. If you want to complain about Bush and Gary being out, they're not coming back next year anyway. So you just got a preview of what your defense looks like next year. <laughs> and that's a, I mean that's accounting for the fact that's not accounting for the fact that Chase Winovich will be gone. David Long declared for the NFL draft. Tyree Kinnell is going to be graduating. Um, <laughs> Gonna be a substantially different looking Michigan defense, and they've recruited plenty well that they really ought to be just as good. Uh, but man, yeah, Don Brown's defenses beat up a lot of crappy teams, and when they play good offenses, this has been the result a few Not times even now. Not good offenses, offenses with talented skill players. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's not like Florida. Remember, was up they there with ducked Oklahoma. Purdue. They did. <laughs> Fair to say. Uh, gosh, yeah. I don't know how you feel about this offseason if you're a Michigan fan. I mean. I guess it all depends. You on watch basketball. You oh, just yeah. pretend that you've always been a basketball fan like you do in every March, but you do that a little bit earlier. Yeah, you should actually be watching your actually entertaining basketball team. Not that I know any Michigan fans who are, but you should be. It's a number... God. They're going to drop us to 4-12, and 12, which is a record that would get you the number two overall pick in the NFL draft this year. <laughs> that's, so that's fun. You think y'all going to trade up for Zion? You think it's possible? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was Michigan's bowl game. Um, not that I'm, I mean, <laughs> this doesn't come from a position of gloating because if you, I published a preview for the Red Box Bowl titled something along the line, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something, you should not watch the Red Box Bowl. If you do, here's, here's what you'll see. Um, I told you not to watch the Red Box Bowl. I knew this is what was going to happen. Um, I watched it anyway through, cl- through clenched, gnashing teeth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yet another, yet another, uh. Dave Warner special, the good old two field goals ought to be enough for our defense to win this for us. It almost was! Uh, Oregon didn't score until about seven or eight minutes left in the game when they finally hit a deep corner route for uh, Dylan Mitchell, their likely NFL wide receiver. Um, Before that, you know, the spectacular MSU defense made Justin Herbert look kind of like just a tall guy throwing the ball uh, instead of the presumptive first round pick he would have been if he'd left. They neutralized Oregon's pretty good skill players just fine. Uh, and the offense was just ass. Well, I mean, just Oregon game. On 203 yards on the day. And until that fourth quarter touchdown, they were posting the uh, the 3-6 the Mafia box score, where it goes, Oh! <laughs> 
I just, I don't know what to do with this team anymore, man. Like I, I have never been less interested in the outcome of an MSU bowl game than I was in this one. Like this was right up there with the bowl game against Texas Tech after the Rather Hall thing, where MSU suspended half the team. And I was like, well, I, I guess I'll. I'm just interested in seeing who they play. Like I don't even know who's left on the roster, but. Um, I managed to catch the last five minutes or so of this one at the gym, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that was that was that was incredible to see them get those two scoring chances. They shouldn't have gotten another one, but then they did, and they screwed that up too. I don't even like this. They're allergic to the red zone, is kind of what it feels like now. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this game, honestly. I mean, a lot of the guys coming that were involved with this offensive debacle are going to be back. L.J. Scott's the only real contributor who's going to be gone. I mean, Felton Davis has been out half the season anyway, so we've already seen what life is like without him. Um, Scott was in line for a redshirt because he had this persistent ankle issue that kept him out of all but four games in the regular season. And the thought was he was just going to come back for a fifth year next year, and he changed his mind. He's like, nah, I'm just going to play in the bowl and go to the draft. Um, well, you're going to miss LJ Scott's uh, 84 yards on 24 carries. Um, vastly better than what anyone else did. Though. Also um, vastly better than 172 yards on 40 passing attempts. Yeah, man. I, like, I've never seen an offense that runs more plays to less of a point. Like, it's just, they're just out there doing stuff uh, without the apparent intention of actually getting anything done. Killing time. That was really, yeah, basically. Can we just. We, we, it's killing time. We kick two it's field goals. Killing me. Can we just make the clock go as fast as we can? Drinking myself blind. Hoping I won't see. But I saw. And so there's, anyway. um, you know, what every MSU fan I know wants to see is massive staff changes on the offensive side of the ball. It's not going to happen. It never was regardless of the outcome of this bowl game. I mean, that, this is kind of the outcome I was rooting for. I was rooting for us to get shut out because then maybe he had, maybe D'Antonio feels some obligation to answer some question about why this offense is so hopelessly fucked and what he plans to do to change it. Cause he's on a, this is like, it, they can't really get much worse. They're at the bottom of a four year decline since the 2014 offense that was the best in school history. And it's been like, it hasn't been like they dropped five or 10 ranks a year. It's been like 30 to 35 drops in the rankings in S&P plus total offense every year. They can't go, they can't do it again. Like they can't go that much lower. They're gonna have basically all their personnel back. And that's how, that's, that is so how D'Antonio rolls. Watch, they're gonna somehow stumble their way to nine or 10 wins next year. The offense will probably suck, but because of all everyone else they've got coming back, the defense is going to be incredible. They'll have some losses in the secondary, but Kenny Wilkes is coming back, Raycon Williams, Joe Bocci, Mike Paschuk, all the guys in the front seven who could have gone are coming back. Justin Lane's the only departure out of the secondary, and then they lose two other stars, I think, Andrew Dowell and Kari Willis. I don't think I'm leaving anyone else out. Uh, defense is going to be incredible again. They're not going to need to score much more than 15 or 20 points to win a lot of games. It's not going to win them any of the important games. They're not going to beat Ohio State or Michigan or probably even Penn State doing that crap, but it'll get them to eight or nine wins. And Antonio will say, well, I wanted to be Iowa when I got here. We won eight games. Isn't that the most Iowa thing ever? Yeah. So then he's just got to stand on, on board an aircraft carrier with a huge banner that says mission accomplished. Offense accomplished. Speaking of mission accomplished, uh, Northwestern was doing their thing in the first half against Utah. Um, by that, you I mean they were just dicking around. <laughs> getting their, getting their face doing, caved in by some middling non-conference. No, no, just, just, just dicking around, like slowly moving the ball nowhere. And yeah, and then and suddenly uh, Utah got up 20 to 
three and just started explosively shitting all over themselves on national television and turned the ball over six times, one of which went for an 82-yard fumble return for touchdown. I mean, holy shit. You know what? This, I believe, is karma coming around from the Akron game where Northwestern did this to themselves. Now Utah did. Now somehow what happened was that Northwestern found... Northwestern's been in touch with Akron, and they found the, uh, the whatever in the hell Akron put in their orange slices at halftime. <laughs> uh, and they put that in Utah's because, seriously, Utah did in the second half of this game what Northwestern did in the second half of their game against Akron. They had nothing but paint it forward, man. That's like, that's probably, that's gotta be a tenant to the Church of Latter-day Saints, doesn't it? I mean, like, is it otherwise, yeah. I tuned out of that game pretty early on because I was like, wow, I don't need to see this, um, after having watched the Red Box Bowl, I'm pretty sure it was immediately after, like right after. Yeah. At, at, at that point, I'm a little bit surprised I didn't just go for a long, quiet walk in in the cold. Um, but hey, you know, give Pat Fitzgerald credit. I mean, is this is this Northwestern's best season since the Rose Bowl season? Division Bowl, division title, Holiday Bowl win. That's probably this is probably the best bowl they've been in since then, right? Because I mean, there's there was the Gator Bowl, there was whatever other bowl. Um, well, I mean, name yeah, a better Northwestern season. I would say yes because even though the even though they've had seasons with more wins, it's like yeah, the the, the losses to like Duke and Akron are stupid. But do you ever remember those shitty little non-conference wins that got you to ten wins in like twenty twelve? No, yeah, exactly. So you remember the wins that matter. So there are probably more wins that matter in this yeah. Northwestern se- season than perhaps any since ninety five. That being said, it's still those losses are still frustrating though because if Northwestern doesn't have them, uh, if they go into the game at I think it would have been nine. So hold on, they ended up they end up nine and five, but that's with so they were nine and three in the regular season. No, eight and three in the regular. I'm having a stroke. All right, they they're were nine eight and, and four. They're nine and five after they win this game. So they're eight. Yeah, so they're eight and four after the regular season. If you're ten and two instead, even if you go to ten and three, if you're a division champion, is there maybe not an argument that you ought to get? The Peach Bowl bid, or at least the Citrus Bowl bid? Yes, but if they were to play all the games over again with most of the random luck factors just kind of, you know, being reset, uh, it's it's overwhelmingly likelier that they win fewer games than that they win more games. Fair enough. Because if you think about the way the Rutgers game ended, the way the Nebraska <laughs> game ended, <laughs> the Nebraska <laughs> game, my goodness. Yeah. Those, those are things that statistically should have been losses. <sighs> um, Pepperidge Farmer members. All right, so... Enough talk about that. Well, my goodness. Um, do we have to talk about Ohio State? There must be something else. No, let's talk about them last. Let's talk about let's talk about Penn State first. Uh, let's talk about Penn State losing to Kentucky in a Citrus Bowl that I watched not a second of. Did you catch any of this game? No, but my understanding is that uh, is that James Franklin um, aggressively pissed away a 17-point furious rally in the fourth quarter. No. James Franklin did something stupid in the fourth quarter that cost Penn State a win? Unheard of. Apparently so. Impossible. All right. Well, that was fun to talk about. Um, so, yeah. Let's talk about the game. Ha uh-huh, you lost to Kentucky. Let's talk about the most important of games, the one that determined the soul of the nation, specifically which appetizer you get for free from a crappy casual dining knockoff Australian chain. Um, the Iowa Hawkeyes prevailed, but was it not a Pyrrhic victory? Because now instead of Blue and Onion, the nation had to settle for coconut shrimp. Well, yeah, that's because they knocked off number 18, which is how you'd actually say it if you were Australian. Not 18, like they say it on their outback commercials. 
well, it's got to be distinguishable as English to, you know, the bumpkins who hear it and think, I'm going to go to Outback. It'll be exotic. Uh, <laughs> this game was really like, little. The combination of the Subaru Outback being a new thing and Outback Steakhouse's ads made me think that the Subaru Outback was an Australian car. Did you ask for a boomerang when you were a kid? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, if this game wasn't proof positive that Nick Fitzgerald is... Let's just say a running back who wears a quarterback's number. Uh, I, I haven't seen such a hideous passing line in, in quite a while. Um, oh my goodness. And the, the other thing is, though, this was... If you saw a score like this, what would you assume... What would you ballpark Iowa's rushing total to be at if you saw an Iowa victory over a ranked SEC team in a bowl game? How do you think the rushing game would have gone for Iowa? I think around 200 yards. You think it would have gone pretty good, right? Nope. 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 The leading, the leading rusher in the box score for Iowa is listed as Torrin Young at three rushes for seven yards. Because overall, Iowa managed minus 15 as a team on only 20 carries. Now that's not sack adjusted, um, but yeah, Torrin Young, three rushes, seven yards. Ivory Kelly Martin, five rushes, four nothing. Went nowhere. You went exactly zero yards. Makai Sargent had seven carries and lost three yards. And then you have Nate Stanley with his sacks, taking them down to minus 15 on the day. I believe I saw a stat indicating this was the lowest rushing total by a team winning a bowl game ever. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was just it the Big Ten. It would shock me if it wasn't. Maybe it was just the Big Ten or maybe it was just Iowa. But I get like, can you fi uh, think of any game, any bowl game within our memories that would, with a, with a winning team, this is so bad, so spectacularly badly ran the running ball. Yeah, right? this is a far more impressive accomplishment than what Clemson accomplished this year because that kind of thing can be done. It was done by Alabama not too long ago. Yeah. Maybe not with the exact same record, but, you know, that kind of thing can be done. Uh, but how in the... I, I, I defy the Dabo Swinney's and the Nick Saban's of the world to win a bowl game while rushing for less than no yards. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that means Kirk Ferentz is playing 3D chess while they're playing... You know, the miniature version of checkers you get to travel, you know, for traveling and like you lose all the pieces immediately because tiny and they go everywhere. Um, no, they're playing Monopoly and Kirk Ferentz is playing Candyland. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because they're playing Monopoly because like you get laid into a Monopoly game, man, shit gets pretty dark. It's like, okay, you know, my yeah, you know, my, I'm going to my... take all your money and I'm going to use, I'm going to use all these things. Everything that you once owned is now mine and, uh. Now I control all of this, and now you, the rest of the people, must find some way to stand up to my combined might after having eaten this other player. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you can't, can you? Monopoly is really the way that your family learns who you actually are. Um, my, my mom and sister both learned that about me, I think by the time I was like 11. Because uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was a demented little John Rockefeller, basically. I, I used all kinds of underhand tactics. I didn't even actually directly cheat. Like, I didn't steal from the bank or anything because I didn't have to. I, for one thing, I was always prepared to play the long game, just like, the pro just like Nick Saban in the process. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd over-recruit properties a little bit sometimes. You, sometimes you got to over-sign properties like Oriental and Connecticut just to stop other people from having them. And then they, they find themselves transferring your way, transferring to your sister after sitting out three years. No, you just mortgage them and then use the money you got from their from their you know wasted useless yeah when Saban figures to build out houses how to do on that. to build houses on boardwalk, which is basically the equivalent of you know recruiting over a player. So Iowa only ran fifty one plays from scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, so okay. So to, to plunge all the way back to what we were talking about, yeah, 
So you would assume then to get to 27 points, well, okay, Iowa must have had a great day of throwing a ball. Uh, 215-ish yards passing. Um, TJ Hawkinson had a great day. 6.9 yards per attempt. Yeah, yeah. And it, <laughs> That's so, a decent rushing well, day, yeah. which Iowa demonstrably did not have. But then you're like, okay, so they must have had a defensive score or something, right? Nope. Nope. Um, Stanley threw for all three touchdowns they had, and their other points came from two field goals. This was uh, how exactly Iowa managed to wring 27 points out of the offensive production they had is unknowable. Um, well, they, they scored 63 points against us with like 400 yards of offense, and we weren't like turning the ball over like crazy. Yeah. It's actually not unprecedented, but you'd, you'd just like, if you went to this game, no matter who you were rooting for, you'd walk out of it thinking, huh? What happened? I don't. When's the game start? Yeah, I mean, they, they did pick off two passes. They recovered a fumble, but it's, again, it's not like the defense put a bunch of points up on the board for them. So that's one of the more Iowa seasons we've ever seen. Um, has to be disappointing overall because, as we mentioned numerous times throughout the course of the season, this was the season when the West was there for the taking, and Iowa just didn't take it. So they have to settle instead for a trip to Tampa, where they've been, I think, six times in, like, the last 12, 13 years, maybe a little bit longer, but, but in... Certainly this century. They've been to the Outback Bowl six times. How, and if I told how, you... Like, there can't be that many Iowa fans that there's not a large... And I'm pretty sure they still darn near sold all their tickets out. Who are the Iowa fans who, two or three years after the last trip to Tampa, say, Oh, that sounds like a thing with our holiday. Let's go back to Tampa. <laughs> I just, it, the mind portals. And, you know, if, 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 you, if you were to tell me that Iowa was going to lose a decisive game that would cost them wide open Big Ten West. What what would I say the score was? 14 to 10, which it of course was. <laughs> yeah. So, you anyway. didn't even lots of good news is if you're an Iowa fan, you didn't even actually have to watch any of this season cuz it's exactly what you thought it was going to be. Yep. Um, and you know, Kirk Ferentz's contract may eventually run out at some point. He may die at some point. Uh, but he's got a son. <laughs> he's got Ooh. multiple sons. His sons probably have sons. The Ferris dynasty will stretch into the ages. So one thing's for sure: in. when Kirk Ferris dies, no matter what awaits him after death, he will uh, make good time by beating traffic, and he'll be in bed at a reasonable hour. What do you think the odds are that at his funeral, Kirk Ferris constructs a giant, has a giant robot of a punter constructed, and punts his coffin into a, an open grave from? About forty or fifty yards away. What do you think the odds only are? if you only if you paint like a thirty-five yard line with the arrow pointing in the <laughs> short direction. As his last act of defiance, he's gonna punt from the thirty-three. All right. So I guess let's talk about the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch because man, I think I've I think I've just seen and heard all of the adulation of Urban Meyer. That I mean, I think that I now. Get the picture. It sounds like you've been through some adversity dealing with all the Urban Meyer news. I've been year. through a lot of adversity, a lot of off-the-field drama, just, you know, just a lot of, you know, things that have been tough for me to overcome. I don't think we've recorded since the news came out, or maybe we have, that not only is Urban Meyer going to be named an associate athletic director at Ohio State, uh, but he's teaching a class about, was it, character and leadership? or some ethics. Some, some other hypocritical No, 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 the word ethics is in that title. <laughs> it, you know what, it, yeah, right, it is, because... You know what it reminded me of was the scene from the end of Billy Madison where he looks at um, at the guy from West Wing's character's name, I remember it, and he says, I choose business 
ethics. Because <laughs> the guy's been an absolute shitbag through the whole movie. And it, you know, it goes predictably. Uh, Bradley Whitlock is, is the actor's name. I still remember the character's name from Billy Madison. This is astounding to me. I wasted so much of my youth watching Adam Sandler. Uh, but anyway, that was the that was the scene that I thought of instantly when I heard that Urban Meyer was going to be a professor. Not that he's going to be there long, because because and, Notre Dame has got to open up eventually. Two years tops. Two years tops. Because there's another. You now have another data point. Six years after your last data point, suggesting that. He might be able to get you darn close to the top, but he ain't going to be able to crest that hill. Well, also, imagine what'll happen if they somehow have decent teams on their schedule next year, besides Michigan, who, of course, crumbles anytime they go up against anybody rankable. Yeah, so if Notre Dame has a backslide of any kind, I mean, I'm pretty sure Ian Book is coming back. Um, I couldn't tell you. I mean, Julian Love is going pro. Their star corner is going pro. Other than that, I don't know a whole lot about the state of Notre Dame's roster and what their expectations should be. The question be. is, do they have to play Clemson in the regular season next year? Because they've got that whole, you know, friends with benefit arrangement with the ACC. Uh, if they did, I'm pretty sure they'll find a way to duck that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Now, we are exempt. We are Notre Dame. <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't playing. So anyway, Ohio State... Basically won this game 28-3, to and then Washington scored a bunch of garbage time points to make it simply a five-point game. Yeah, so it, if you look at this on paper, you might think that, oh man, Ohio State almost blew this, this game was in peril, this game was never in peril. Um, the gap between these two teams was pronounced, substantial, maybe a little surprising. I, I, I don't know why I thought Washington would be better this year. I guess I assumed Chris Peterson, he's got a senior quarterback, he... But really, Jake Browning has been more of a problem than a benefit for Washington for most of his time there. He, he hasn't been thought of as a top-level type of guy basically since like halfway through his sophomore years when the shine came off of him. Yeah, basically my thoughts on Jake Browning is, oh, wow, he's still the quarterback there. What the hell? Don't like, they have a better Jake yet? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the thing is, next year they will because Jacob Eason will be eligible. So yep. even if Browning had eligibility left, it would have been a good time for him to get out of Dodge. Jake U. Yeah. Um, so I guess the other things that happened were uh, LSU finally put a, put an end to UCF. Hard to imagine uh, what would have happened had Mackenzie Milton been healthy for that one. Uh, UCF loses their first game in two years, which means that now everybody going and saying that they never deserved a shot ever, especially last year, can go ahead and tell themselves, see, I told you, I told you they were bad. Right, because they lost to LSU, which was ranked 11th, but has better talent than that by one score with their backup quarterback playing, I think, his third career game? Second or third start? Something like that? Um, yeah, no, that, you're, you're totally right, um, Bama fan. UCF is absolute trash and doesn't even belong on the same field. In fact, most of it, why don't you just go off by yourselves? Why don't you and Clemson go away so that we never have to watch your boring Death Star teams again? Uh, and I don't mean boring in the sense of the actual product of the field. I get that modern spread offenses are fun to watch. Well, especially when you've got... Um, a game with more receiving talent than half of the wild card games had. Yeah, yeah, just go away. That's the, the thing is, in the NFL, you can't just assemble a bunch of first-round draft picks at wide receiver. You can do that in college. It's yeah. very difficult. But, but these two teams have done it. So Exactly. So you can have more talent, like, you know, yeah, you certainly don't have, uh, you know, it certainly seems like you shouldn't be able to have as talented a receiving ro roster or receiving death chart as a pro team but if you break the game then you can actually have a more talented team because you don't have to manage resources right so you know the moral of this overall season i guess and what we're seeing obviously you have the the ascendance and the triumph of modern offense it's just like it's finally spread to the nfl uh 
Um, you once again had a one-year starter at Oklahoma winning the highs. Oh, Baker had two years, didn't he? But anyway. I think he was got, three years. Actually. He was around for a while. He was at Texas Tech at least. So I thought. Well, in any case, before I lose track of my point here, if you're looking for themes in this season overall, aside from R2 finding the squeakiest toys every time we record, R2, stop it! <laughs> I can't believe that Squeaker is still alive. I'm sure he's working on it. Um, the themes of the season, of course, were stratification, as we mentioned earlier, the triumph of spread sophisticated modern offenses over man ball for one thing because that was Alabama's previous model and then the question of whether we're seeing a passing of the guard here you know whether there's a new power that's going to be insurmountable whether Saban might finally have some cracks in the armor and be on his way out I mean the guy's got to retire or die another thing that we need to impart upon you dear listener is the fact that the, the, the biggest takeaway is that Georgia should have been in the college football playoff. And I agreed with that, except, of course, that really there was one team that deserved it more. Not Texas, who thrashed them in the Sugar Bowl, uh, but in fact a team that ended up overcoming Texas. I'm saying that Maryland should have been in the college football playoff over Notre Dame. No one denies this. And so we'll leave you, dear readers, with the most sensible question to talk about whenever you talk about a truly ascendant dynamic power in college football. Could the Raiders even beat Clemson, y'all? Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle, Empire.